Today we are finishing up our series called Moving Forward. And last time I shared with you that when God is working in our lives, no barrier, no wall can stop us from moving forward with His purpose. Amen? But actually, that was not exactly correct. There is one thing that can stop us from moving forward and fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about together tonight. Now, to be honest with you, I had not planned to share this passage with you. As I said, uh, this series was supposed to be out of Joshua chapters 1 through 6. And so I had planned last week on stopping in Joshua chapter 6. And actually, I, I didn't want to share this passage tonight because I was uh, getting ready to move on with a new series of messages that we're going to be doing together. And to be perfectly honest with you, this passage is not the easiest or the most pleasant passage you're going to see here in just a moment. But I felt like the Lord wanted us to cover one more chapter before we move on. So tonight we're going to talk about Joshua chapter 7. And I want to talk with you about the only thing, only one thing can stop the purpose that God has for our lives. You see, it is true, at least partially true, that nothing can stop us. If we are following the Lord, if we are seeking His will for our lives, and if we keep our eyes on Him, if we keep our focus on Him, no external barrier can keep us from moving forward with what God has for us. Praise the Lord. Amen? There is nothing that you are going to face, not only tomorrow, but when you walk out of this room tonight, there is nothing that you are going to face in your life that can come against you if God is for you who could possibly be against you. Romans chapter 8 says... But there is one thing that can keep us from moving forward. There is one thing that can trip us up, and that's putting it lightly, it can actually destroy our lives. That thing that we want to talk about tonight is sin. It's disobeying the Lord. It's not following His direction for our lives. You see, there is no blanket guarantee for victorious living. God promised the Israelites, just like He promises to us, I want to lead you out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt for the Israelites, and that was symbolic for out of our bondage to slavery and living life our own way. God said, I want to lead you out of that. I want to lead you into this promised land living. And I promise you that if you will keep your eyes on me, if you will follow my ways, if you will trust in me, I will give you an amazing, victorious experience of life. He does guarantee that to us. But it is based upon us trusting Him and following Him. So let's look at Joshua chapter 7. And first of all, I want us to think about how the Bible describes how disobedience, how sin comes about and happens in our lives. Now, we're not going to be able to read all of these verses. You can go back later. And I encourage you to do that, by the way. I hear many of you say that, you know what, uh, in my own personal time of the Lord, I go back, I don't know what to read, so what I do is I go back and I read the verses that you talked about, Pastor Robbie, or maybe you can do that. You say, I don't know how to have family devotions at night. Maybe you could go back and read the passage that we talk about on the weekend and let God continue to use that in your life. But let me just kind of summarize what happens through about verses 1 through 20. In verses 1 through 5, after God had given them an amazing victory, boy, didn't we worship God last week thinking about the amazing victory He gave them in Joshua chapter 6 and the amazing victory He's given us in our lives? After that, Joshua began to lead the Israelites in another battle against actually a much smaller enemy. 
But surprisingly, they lost the battle. And then in verses 6 through 9, Joshua, can you imagine? Joshua and the other leaders, they humbled themselves before God. They called out to, to the Lord and they said, God, what is up with this? God, you led us out of Egypt. You led us in the promised land. You promised to be with us. You promised that we'd be victorious. Did you bring us over here just to let us get humiliated? And God, by the way, says towards the end of those verses, he says, and God, by the way, your name is going to be humiliated because of this. It would kind of be like this. It would kind of be like us moving out of our old facility last week and then nobody showing up over here. Or, or, or nobody continuing to be involved over here. It'd be kind of like, God, we've been building up to something and you've given us this wonderful opportunity and now everybody just leaves. It'd be like, God, what are you doing? We thought, right? We thought you were doing something. Now, God, why does this happen? Then in verses 10 through 15, the Lord said, No, the reason you lost is because, as some have described this passage, there's sin in the camp. The reason you lost that battle, he said, I told you earlier in chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, I told you that when you won the battle of Jericho, everything in that city belongs to me, to the Lord. But there were some people, there was a family among your people who disobeyed my word and they kept some of the spoils. For themselves. And then in verses 16 through 20, we're told that that father and his household were found out and confronted with that sin. And what I want to focus on, first of all, here is in verse 21, because I think it's very helpful for us to listen to what that man said. When he was confronted with the fact that this is the choice, this wrong choice that he and his family have made together, he helps us to understand how disobedience to the Lord is kind of birthed in our own life. Write these things down as we, as we talk about it. In verse 21, I'll read it to you, and then we're going to look at several things. He says, when he was asked about it, he says, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, which is kind of an old word for Babylon, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. I want you to write these things down because I believe in that statement, in that acknowledgement, that confession that he gives, he gives us several steps for how disobedience comes about in our lives. First of all, he said, I saw something. I saw it. What did that man see? The Bible says that he saw probably what he's describing there. He says, uh, I saw a mantle. He's probably talking about some kind of a piece of clothing, probably like a coat or something like that, that was from Shinar. Like I said, that's just an old word for Babylon. And it says he also saw some precious metals. He saw about, uh, best I can tell, and it's kind of hard this far back in the Bible to tell what these weights and measures mean, but as best I can tell, it's probably about seven months worth of income. Okay, so if you translate that today, just roughly taking kind of an average income today in our area, that would have been about, he saw about $30,000 worth of gold and silver. He said, I saw it. And then he said something else. Can you see it? He says, when I saw among the spoil, I saw that mantle, I saw some silver, I saw some gold, then I did what? What did he say? Then I coveted it. And actually that can be translated, then I wanted it. Write that down. I saw it. And I wanted it. 
Maybe he thought this to him. Now, I want you to think about it for just a minute. Because in the battle that they were defeated in, in chapter 7, they said it was a smaller battle. They said they took about two or 3,000 men to go fight that battle. Now, that battle was smaller than Jericho. But I'll just use that number. If there were 3,000 other people in that battle, and they found just as much as he did, I figured it up, they probably could have found as much as $90 million. So the guy probably thought to himself, he said, okay, I saw it, and I wanted it. I mean, he might have thought to himself, I mean, look, the Lord's going to get $100 million. I'm just holding back... 30,000. What's it going to hurt for me to take this little bit? But then number three, he said, then he finally, he took the step and he took it. He made the decision to go through with it and to take it for himself. And then fourthly, the Bible says he hid it. Sounds to me a lot like Adam and Eve. Have you ever read Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve, and by the way, those first three things that we just said, I saw it. I wanted it, and I took it. All three of those words are mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. That's what Adam and Eve did. They saw it, they desired it, and they took it. And then after that, after they committed that sin, what happened? They hid from the Lord, didn't they? They they felt what? Why did they hide from the Lord? They knew they had done wrong. They felt ashamed. They didn't want to be in God's presence. We know it's not right, don't we? And we want to hide from the Lord. Write down James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. This is a great passage for understanding. Listen, friend, God's trying to do us a favor here tonight. God's trying to teach us how sin comes about in our lives. How many of us are for not sinning as much anymore? Amen? Okay, anybody? Okay, because what does the Bible say? We're going to learn here in just a minute. Sin kind of messes up things, right? Okay, just think about it. When you lie, that violates trust, doesn't it? When you steal, that violates someone else's rights and you lose relationship. Amen, right? You lose your privilege. Okay, so sin's a bad thing. And God's trying to say to us, I want you to begin to unpack. Here's how it, it doesn't just start with a choice. It starts with some other, there's a process that we go through when we sin. Look at James chapter 1, verse 14. The Bible says, but each one is tempted. And I'm going to read something here that when I begin to understand it, really revolutionized my approach to sin in my life. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own what? Lust or evil desires. Did you hear that? Each one is tempted when he is carried away. Every time I think I can't help it, I love Looney Tunes. I can't help it. I think of Bugs Bunny. Okay. Like, you know, Elmer Fudd, he's got the, he's got the carrot. And he's like, you know, Bugs Bunny just sort of, Okay. That's what I think about. Bugs Bunny likes carrots. And so Elmer Fudd, he'll get that carrot. And just, ah, you know, he's playing music and he's coming out of his hole. And he's going to get shot, right? He's going to get eaten. That's the picture. The Bible says but each one is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. There is a key that we need to understand in James chapter 1 about sin in our lives. And here it is. You won't choose sin if you don't like what's being offered. Did you hear that? You won't choose sin if you don't want what's being offered. So our goal should be to learn to love God's offer more than to learn to love sin's offer. Amen? 
over the last little while, I've been trying to, you know, I'm going to turn 40 this year. I'm just realizing, you know, I've got to watch things and, you know, get a little bit of a Midas, you know, around the midsection and everything. So just trying to, just trying to, you know, stay nice looking for my wife and everything, all right? And uh, so I've been trying to, you know, watch my weight and watch what I eat and things like that. And somebody shared, so I don't know where I heard this from, but this was a great, a great quote for me. They said, when the feeling of being in better shape or being healthy becomes stronger than the desire to have that particular piece of food, then you'll start losing weight. Did you hear that? So, when I put on my pants and they don't fit, when that feeling is worse than doing without two scoops instead of kitty cone? Because okay. I am going to still eat ice cream, okay? <laughs> Just not as much, right? But do you see what I'm saying? You'll begin to lose weight when you begin to say, you know what? I don't like feeling like this. And so eating that extra thing doesn't make me feel good. When the blessing of obedience becomes stronger than the initial pleasure of sin, and let's just be honest, if sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Amen? I mean, there's obviously something about it that draws us. There's an initial pleasure, but when the blessing of obedience and God working in our lives, when that becomes stronger than that thing that's initially standing before us as a pleasure, then we will begin to experience sin with God's help, not in our own strength. Okay, don't get off track here. It's not me getting really strong. But as I trust in the Lord and let Him do that work in my life, I will begin to sin less in my life. And nobody's ever going to pull that off perfectly. 1 John chapter 1 tells us, I think it's verse 10. If we say that we're not a sinner, we're a liar, and the truth is not in us. All of us are going to sin. But how many of us are for sinning less? Amen, what God's help. So based on those things, let me give you some keys to not disobeying God. Write these down. First of all, watch what you look at. Hey, you know that song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? That's not just for little kids, is it? The Bible says in Job chapter 31, verse 1, that we should make a covenant with our eyes. We should make an agreement with our eyes. Listen, y'all have heard me say before, at our house, we're allergic to commercials. I mean, we, we scramble for the remote. Because we don't need to see that, right? And, and, and listen, some of y'all say, yeah, because the kids are around. No, probably if my kids can't see it, probably Robbie doesn't need to see it. That's, that's kind of how we do things. Even at 11 o'clock at night when they're in bed, I'm still allergic to beer commercials. You know, because I, I don't trust myself. Watch what you're looking at. That's one of the keys. But secondly, change what you like. Now, to some extent, I can control what I look at, right? But to another extent, I can't always control what is presented before me. But I can have an impact on what I like. Someone told me, I've heard someone say uh, that your, your, your taste buds change periodically. And I can't remember how long it was, so I went to try to look it up. And, and one source said days, one source said after weeks they change, one said months, one said years, one said decades. So apparently nobody knows exactly. I don't know. Maybe you know, you can educate me. But I do know that your change buds, your taste buds change periodically. Correct? You ever heard that? Okay, so I'm right about that. That's what we need to do when we follow Jesus. 
We need to let our taste buds change. More and more over time, I just don't like that stuff anymore. Amen? It just doesn't taste good anymore. Especially the aftertaste. Initially it tastes good, but I don't like the aftertaste. Number three, don't go through with it. Watch what you look at. Change what you like, but number three, don't go through it. Now you say, Pastor Robbie, that's not that easy. Just don't go through it. Well, let me give you a couple of keys, okay, to not going through with it as often as many times we do. First of all, you've got to trust in the Lord's strength, not your own. Okay? Don't leave here saying, i got to be stronger. Please don't do that, okay? We do not want to be a do-better church, okay? Because you come to church and all of a sudden you got all this weight on you, right? I leave and I must try harder. Anybody ever been to church like that? you got to try harder. you got to do better. you got to be closer. No. What you need to do is surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Okay? I cannot do it. I don't even want to do it many times. I don't have Philippians 2 verse 13. It is God who is at work in me both to want to, the will, and to work according to His good pleasure. So I need God's strength. And secondly, you need some accountability in your life. You need some support around you. You know what? Sometimes when me and God are talking, I kind of let me off the hook. But most of the time when me and one of God's servants are talking, they don't let me off the hook. Isn't that why we avoid people when our lives aren't right with the Lord? Okay, but you need, if, you, if you want to really begin to live your life in strength, you need to have some people around you who support you, who know you, who can ask you tough questions, and, and when you are struggling, you can go to that person. Again, I think the key here is being tired of what the world is serving, but you need the power of God and you need the support of other people around you. Listen, what are we talking about? I would like to sin less in my life. Amen? Okay, so watch what you look at. Change what you like. Don't go through with it. And fourthly, don't hide when it happens. Hey, why don't we just get used to this? Why don't we just get used to, as some people say, keeping short accounts with the Lord? Okay? Every one of us are going to sin. We're going to do wrong, aren't we? And when we do, you know what's the best thing to do? Admit it. Just say, God, you know what? I did wrong. And, and I'm not saying that flippantly. Just like, oh, well, God, you know, oh, well, sorry. No, I mean, be, we need to be broken over it, right? We need to be sorry for it. We need to be, the Bible calls it repentance. It's more than sorrow, but it's a, it's a God, I don't like this. I don't want this. This is not who I am. But, but we need to be careful not to hide when we sin. We need to bring it out in the light. That doesn't mean you have to tell everybody and their brother, but you need to bring it out in the light, let God deal with it. If you've got some accountability, some person that you can share it with, but you need to, 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 to get used to not hiding because the enemy likes to keep us by ourselves. Have you noticed that? Because when I'm by myself, he can feed me lies and sometimes I believe them. So let's don't do that. When it goes wrong, let's just say, God, I'm sorry and get it right. Okay, so that's how it comes about. Let's look at what it brings. What does disobedience bring in our life? Uh, let's look at verses 13 through 16 in chapter 7. <clears throat> After this person and his family was found out, it says, Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. Now that ban, that's that idea of God had said in chapter 6, 
All this is supposed to be given to the Lord. Okay, you're not supposed to keep it for yourself. And he says, you cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the band from your midst. In the morning, then you shall come by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot... Now, those words are added in my Bible because it's being assumed here, inferred here, that they're casting lots. And that was kind of an Old Testament way, sort of like drawing straws, okay? It was sort of an Old Testament way of, of them kind of letting God lead them without the Holy Spirit living in their heart. Okay, it says, so here, here's what you're going to do. The tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. What it's saying is there's a couple million people here. We're going to figure out what's going on here. Okay, we're going to figure out. The Lord's going to show us who did this. It shall be that the one who is taken with the things under the ban, and here's where it gets a little tough, shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has committed a, a disgraceful thing in Israel. What did this man's disobedience bring? First of all, it hurt other people around him. It says that, it says you, your people, cannot stand before your enemies. You're not going to be victorious until this is taken care of. And then actually back in verse 5, it says that uh, many of them lost their life in that battle, and the people were scared to death of an enemy that was even smaller than the one that they had soundly defeated before. They lost, as a nation, God's power and protection over their lives. But it also hurt his life. In verses 14 to 16, it says that he was going to result he was going to suffer consequences, he and his family, as a result of that. Now listen, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that sometimes the struggles that we face in our lives are purely a result of the consequence of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin, what are wages? What you earn for something, right? Okay, so what... What sin produces, okay, when we make the choice, this goes back to that liking it or not, when we make the choice to sin, what we're saying, the wages of sin is death, okay? Sin brings death and destruction and heartache. What I say a while ago, if you lie, what does that do in a relationship? It breaks trust, doesn't it? You lost something, didn't you? Now, God can rebuild it, but when you lie, it breaks something. It kills something, okay? So part of the result... Many times, disobedience, the reason, the reason we suffer consequences is because that's just what you get for sin. When you enjoy sin, you've got to realize this is what's coming. It has nothing to do really with God doing anything in our lives. It's just the natural effect of what sin produces. Now, other times, some of the consequences can be God's discipline in our lives. If you are a child of God, what good parent doesn't discipline their children? Amen? We don't enjoy discipline. Amen, kids? I guess all you kids love it. All right, great. We don't enjoy discipline, but the Bible says if you're a good father, if you're a good parent, you're going to discipline your children, and God disciplines His children. And eventually, if you're not a child of God, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but it's true. The Bible says eventually, if you're not a child of God, you will, you will stand before God and receive His judgment for your sins. Now, we tend to get all kind of sideways when we talk about God judging sin and God disciplining His children. But if you think about it, shouldn't we be glad that God is against sin? Shouldn't we be glad of that? 
Shouldn't we be glad that God loves us so much that He says, if you're my child, I don't want sin in your life. It'll destroy you. It'll hurt you. It'll hurt my work through you. Shouldn't we be glad that there is a God who said one day all this mess will be taken care of? All the wrongdoing, all the lying, all the cheating, all the hurt, all the boo-boos for kids, all the worse than boo-boos, all the cancer that kills your grandmother or your, or your dad or your sister. All the, aren't you glad one day all that's going to be gone? It's good news, isn't it? How many of you heard the thunder this afternoon? I was actually preparing for tonight. And God just brought back to my heart and my mind, not a pleasant memory. Many years ago, when I was just starting out in my walk with the Lord, God was speaking to my heart about getting serious about Him, and there was some big sin in my life. And I was out, you know, many of you know I, I like the outdoors, and I was out uh, doing some deer scouting, getting ready for the upcoming deer season, and uh, a storm blew in. And I got caught. I was probably half a mile back in the woods. And it blew, it blew in on me so quick that I, there, it was lightning, literally. I, it was lightning around me. And I really, truly thought I was going to die. Now that may sound kind of cruel to you guys to say that I believe God was working in my life. But you know what? I do believe that was the discipline of God in my life. I had some big sin in my life. And I believe the Lord said to me, Robbie, quit playing games. I'm trying to get your attention. If you continue to make these choices in your life, it's going to hurt your life. And even though that wasn't a pleasant experience, it was the most scary thing I've actually probably ever had happen in my life. I never want anything like that to happen again. It was terrifying. But you know what? God used it in my life to get my attention. Sometimes God does discipline His children. Let me ask you, when you're tempted to go back and allow sin into your life, let me ask you this. How did that go before? Would you think about it for just a minute? If you're seeking to walk with God right now, didn't you seek to walk with God because you got tired of sin? Because you got tired of the pain? Because you got tired of the hurt, of the destruction and relationships, about the mess that was being made in your life? How did that work out last time? How much difficulty did it cause for your life? How much did it interfere with God's purpose for your life? Someone has said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Why would we be tempted to go back to an old life that was destroying us? Amen? That's our own lives, but let's think about it in terms of our church. Have you ever been to a church that has gotten away from God's Word and His ways? I have. Many churches aren't being churches because they're disobeying God. They've gotten away from God's Word. They've either made up a bunch of man stuff and started using that more than God's Word, which hurts people, amen? Anybody ever been to a church where it was a bunch of man and not God? Doesn't that hurt people? Or, or they've begun compromising or, or watering down God's, God's Word, and that hurts people's lives. The disobedience sin brings hurt into our lives. Amen? Now let's talk about what we should do with it. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. We talked about bringing it to the light, but let's look at verses 22 through 26. What we should do with disobedience. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. 
Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled this? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Now, I have to be honest with you. This is why I didn't want to share this passage tonight. On the surface, it causes some big questions, doesn't it? What kind of questions? Is God that jumpy? Is he that quick-tempered? Wasn't this a little or maybe even a lot severe for what was done? Is that what I should expect from God? I mean, if I take a little something that I'm not supposed to take, is that how we're supposed to treat sin in our church? Let me just kind of, first of all, summarize for you what I believe the overall lesson is, and I want to deal with some of those questions. The question is sin, what do we do with it? I think the answer is get rid of it in our lives. Get rid of it in our lives completely. But I do want to deal with some of those questions, just so the enemy, listen, be very careful, friend, okay? We're dealing with a very difficult passage here. Do not allow the enemy to creep in and cause doubt. Okay, whatever the answers are to our questions, God is good and can be trusted. Amen? Okay, so let's answer. Is God quick-tempered? Doesn't that kind of come out of this passage? Is God quick-tempered? Okay, whenever you read God's Word, listen, especially when you have a passage that you're not sure about, you should always let Scripture interpret Scripture. Okay? And let passages that we are sure about interpret those that we're not as sure about. Okay, write down Psalm 145, verse 8. That sentiment that's found in Psalm 145, verse 8 is found all throughout the, New, the Old Testament. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Listen, is He quick to anger? No, it says in Psalm 145, verse 8, and many other passages, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. Which that word loving kindness is kind of the Old Testament word for agape love. Unconditional love, okay? So God is great in that. He's not short in that. So whatever we find in this passage, God is not quick-tempered. He's not abusive. He's not hot-headed. Whatever is happening here, it is not that. This was not a knee-jerk reaction by a trigger-happy judge. In fact, the Bible tells us very clearly in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing for any to perish, okay? That's not His desire. He's not having fun with that, okay? Okay, secondly, was this a little severe for this sin? Well, first of all, we need to be a little careful putting God on trial. We have some information here, but God sees more than we do. In other words, was there more involved than we know about? And whatever is happening here, I think part of the problem is this. Now listen to this. We don't really see sinning against God as that serious. I think that's part of our struggle. We don't really see it as that serious. But maybe this would help you. Think of the worst thing you can imagine a person doing to another human being. Did you know that ultimately, the reason that seems so heinous to us 
is because of our sense of the rightness of God and that that action goes against that right objective standard. Do you understand that? So the reason we see things and say that is terrible, that is awful, is because deep down within us we have a sense of a, of a, of a standard of right and wrong that is based on the nature of God. Now, we may see some things as wrong and other things as not so wrong, but God has the standard. He knows what is right and what is wrong. And maybe thinking of it that way helps us to understand the offense of lying and cheating to a holy God. But to be honest, if God went solely by His holiness, now this is what we need to understand. If God went solely by His holiness, we all deserve the same judgment right now. Without Christ, we all deserve the judgment of God. We actually see very few times in God's Word when He does something like this. I'm not sure exactly why He did it here. Maybe it was a strategic point in His work. Maybe it was a strategic reminder right down to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. That is another passage where God gives someone that judgment immediately. Like I said, now listen, we want to take one passage and make that the standard. The standard we find throughout God's Word is God is patient, God is merciful, God is offering forgiveness. He continues to reach out. And for that very reason, I believe there probably was more to this situation. There probably was previous continued sin involved in this person's life. Clearly in God's Word, God's desire is for us to be saved, not to be judged. That's the good news. Amen? If you are here tonight and say, I don't want to be judged, God says to you, good, because I've given you the way. I don't want you to be judged either. In fact, I wanted you so badly not to be judged that I would send my precious son to give his life for you. Turn to him. Now, another question that we may struggle with, wasn't it unjust for the whole family to be judged? Well, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, God will always do right. God will always do justly. He will never be unjust. And the Bible also tells us, I think this is very important, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, God would not have judged that family for the father's sin. So that tells us that everyone must have been involved with that decision. Everyone deserved that judgment. And then one final point. Some churches have taken this as a model for, quote, condemning sinners. Is that what we're supposed to do? I should hear big no. Okay. No, it's not. Okay, how are we to handle sin? Okay, when someone is not a Christian, we offer salvation, not condemnation. Because raise your hand if you're a sinner in this room. Okay? And every single one of us, the only hope we have is the grace of God that's been given to us. Amen? That person one day, if it doesn't change, and friend, if you're here tonight, this is what, this is what God began to speak to my heart. As a 12-year-old boy, I realized that if something didn't change in my heart, that one day I was going to have to give an account to God, and I wasn't ready. Okay, if you're here tonight and you realize that you're not ready for that, you've got a day that you're going to face God's judgment, but we're offering to you. That's, that's the main thing that we do as a church. We're offering. You don't have to face that day. You can know Christ and be forgiven. That's what we offer to someone who's not a Christian. What about someone who is a Christian? 
What about Christians who are in sin? You know what many churches talk, what is your discipline policy? What is your discipline? I don't even use that word. I mean, there is a, there is a, a principle of working through sin in someone's life. But actually, the Bible, it should be, what's, what is our restoration principle? Okay, what the Bible says is, listen, friends, because right now in this room, every one of us have sin in our lives. And there may be even some in this room that there's some pretty major things going on in your life. You know what the Bible says? If that is the case, as God's people, we should reach out with concern, not condemnation. We should continue to reach out and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, what's going on? How can we help you? God's trying to speak to you. Let's come out of that. Let's make the right decision. And at some point, we don't, we don't shun that person, as some churches have, have taken. It's not a shunning. It's this. If a person continues to claim to be a Christian, but they continue to sin, the, the approach the church begins to take is, okay, now this person, the fruit of their life is starting to look more like they're not a Christian. And so now we reach out with the message again. Come to Christ. In both cases, it's not condemnation. It's praying for and reaching out in love and concern for someone's life. The bottom line is God is good. He's patient. He's just. It's okay to think about some of these things we've just talked about, but just don't get bogged down in them because the real point is this. Here's what God's trying to say in this passage, I believe. What does sin do to us? It destroys us, doesn't it? It hurts us. It hurts us. It hurts others. It hurts our church. We need to be bothered by it. We need to not be comfortable with it. And we need to let God deal with it in our lives as quickly as possible. You've heard me say before, if God is speaking to your heart, when we, have, when we give an opportunity to respond to Him here in just a moment, I wouldn't wait for the second verse of the song. I'd wait for the first half of a note. And I would say, now I need to deal with what God is speaking to me about. The point of all of this, friends, is this. As we wrap up this series of messages together. Let's go back to the big picture. God has a purpose for us. And He wants to move us forward with that great purpose. And He has promised to you, if you put your trust in Him, that nothing can get in the way of the purpose that He has for your life. Except He warns us that sin can derail us. It can distract us. It deceives us. It can ultimately destroy us if we don't put our trust in Him. Tonight, would you say to the Lord, God, I can't do it. I can't do it, God, without You. Amen? God, I know as soon as I walk out this door, I'm going to be a jerk to my wife again. I know I'm going to... I'm going to be impatient with my kids. God, I know I'm going to misuse money tomorrow. God, I know I'm not going to treat my employees right. God, I know it's, it's futile. If you're at that point, listen, like I said, we're not leaving here becoming do-gooders, okay? Because none of us can do good on our own. We should leave here saying, dear God, help me. I'm a sinner. Amen? If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ tonight, The reason I believe God lets us have passages like this is because we do need to have a sin, have a sense of that He's a holy God. And our sin is serious. But the wonderful news is this 
You can be forgiven right now, tonight. We trust Him. And child of God, if you're here tonight, it's not right just to say, oh, I've already had, you know, I've already had the check. I've already had my sins forgiven, so I'm just living like whatever. Something's wrong with that picture. You've either moved far away from God in your relationship with Him, or maybe you've never truly met Him. Tonight, if there is serious sin in your life, all of us are sinners, and we need to keep short accounts with God. Maybe God would speak to us about big things, little things, and everything in between tonight. But tonight, if God is speaking to your heart about some sin in your life, then it's serious. And He's wanting to deal with it. Would you let Him do that? Let's bow before Him for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that Your Word has taught us in Joshua that you have an incredible purpose for our lives, Lord. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good things and not for bad things, to give you a future and a hope. Thank you that you created us to know you and to serve you and to reflect you to others. Thank you, God, that you don't want to judge us. But Father, being a righteous judge, you have to judge sin. And if sin is not dealt with in our lives, one day you're going to have to judge us. But Lord, thank you that you don't want to. And tonight I pray if there's somebody in this room that, that knows that they've never been forgiven, that tonight they would make that choice to receive your free gift and surrender their life to you, Lord Jesus. And Father, forgive us, your children here tonight, for becoming comfortable with sin in our camp, in our house. Lord, not that we should become righteous or judgmental or condescending, but Lord, we should be allergic to sin. We should not desire it anymore. And Father, none of us are pulling that off perfectly, but I know you're wanting to speak to us. You want to speak to each one of us tonight about but growing too comfortable with some sin in our life. And I pray that we would take that seriously. That we would really truly believe that sin brings death and hurt to our lives and to others around us. And that we would desire to walk closely with you with your help. So speak to us now, Lord. Give us courage to step up and to acknowledge and to bring things to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.